0: Today's show is sponsored by Datadog, a scalable, full-stack monitoring platform. Datadog synthetic monitoring enables you to detect front-end errors and performance errors by analyzing user sessions and receiving actionable alerts. API tests help you detect and debug user-facing issues in critical endpoints and applications. Build and deploy self-maintaining browser tests to simulate user journeys from global locations. Start proactively monitoring your user experience today with a free 14-day trial of Datadog by visiting datadog.com. Slash Frontend Dash Cloudcast. That's Datadog.com Slash Frontend Dash Cloudcast.
1: Cloudcast Media presents from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina. This is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delb and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world.
2: Good morning, good evening, OVR, and welcome back to the Cloudcast. We're coming to you live from our massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina, and. This is Aaron, and as I hit record on this, um, honestly, it's probably going to be a short news week, and the reason why is because I got my COVID booster yesterday, and uh, my body is hating me right now. Hopefully, everything will be better tomorrow, but let's jump right into Cloud News of the Week. Uh, Our first article, actually, if you follow like the JEDI contract and some of those other things before, the US Army is now reportedly planning a $1 billion cloud migration contract, going to be announced sometime next year. But what I also found really interesting about all of this is in 2022 they migrated, excuse me, migrated 100 on-premises systems to the cloud. And this contract is all about modernization and moving to the cloud. They also discontinued 66 legacy systems. So hey, that's pretty good numbers—166 systems in one year. Well, they have 3,500 more to go. <laughs> so they have their work cut out for them, and hence the size of this contract. And I'm sure this is one of those, uh, just like the Jedi contract, it'll make lots and lots of news and continue on for quite some time. And for our next article, we're actually talking about Google Cloud Next. Um, happened uh, this, this last week, and I'm going to do two links. Uh, for those that like the short form version, there is uh, Google Cloud Next, in under 13 minutes. Uh, It is a YouTube video by the Google Cloud tech team. Um, It's a pretty good uh, video, summarizes everything really well. And for those that prefer the long form content, there actually is another article, which is, everything they announced. And it scrolls and scrolls and scrolls. And it is 123 things we announced at Google Cloud Next. So depending on what kind of uh, content you like, whether it's a video or long form text, there's something for you. And we've linked to both of them. And finally, Microsoft Ignite as well. Microsoft Ignite was also in that week. And Uh, and I know we've covered this in the past, but there is um, what they call the book of news. Um, And, like the format a lot. Um, It's very easy to kind of digest and figure out just the things that you want to focus on. And also it it contrasts again to Google and how they put out their um, kind of news and, and this comprehensive coverage of the events as well. So with that, I'm going to wrap up Cloud News of the Week. Coming up after the break, we are going to be talking about chaos engineering with Benjamin Wilms. If you want to get more out of your applications, then you need
0: to know which parts of your code are consuming the most resources. Today's show is brought to you by G-Profiler, an open-source profiling tool for code performance in production. G-Profiler is the must-have tool for performance and cost optimization, enabling any team to reap the benefits of continuous profiling and proactively look for optimization opportunities. G-Profiler can be deployed cluster-wide in just minutes with no code changes or deployment modifications whatsoever. And best of all, it's free. So start profiling today at gprofiler.io. That's gprofiler.io. Buffering, how annoying! Did you know that 17 out of 20 people stop watching a video because of stalling and rebuffering? Don't let your users click away to a competitor's site. If your business lies in online media, rely on CDN77 to deliver a seamless online experience to your audience. CDN 77 is one of the leading global providers of content delivery network services. They power the world's most popular websites and apps such as Udemy, ESL Gaming, live sports TV, and social media platforms. Aside from their massive and redundant global network, you're going to love their no BS attitude and skilled team of engineers ready to help 24-7. No chatbots, no tickets bouncing around unresolved for days, just people who know your use case and can immediately help you pinpoint and fix the problems. Don't wait until your users run out of patience. Go to cdn77.com slash cloudcast and ask for a free trial with no duration or traffic limits. That's cdn77.com slash cloudcast. And we're back. And you know, Aaron, uh, it's good to good to be both doing a show, a couple of these shows together. We've been uh, we've been finding finding
2: the right schedule for the last uh, last couple of weeks. It's been good. Yeah. And and it's funny, too, with kind of the march march back up to trade shows being in in person again. um, I know it's kept you busy. I know it's kept me busy. Um, We're all trying to remember how to do trade shows again. But I also think we're getting a little bit more effective and streamlined over the years in in getting these scheduled and and finding times and gaps in schedules where we can both get on.
0: Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, You know, one of the things you talked about uh, in the last last week's uh, or one of the last week's. Cloud News of the Week was the idea of, of platform engineering. And one of the one of the functions that sort of starts to come out of something like platform engineering is this idea of, uh, you know, we want to build resiliency in the platform, in the systems that we have. And that really sort of lends into the next topic that we really want to dig into today, which is chaos engineering. And it's something that we briefly talked about, uh, I don't know, I feel like maybe a couple of years ago when when the concept first sort of came out, but we uh, we haven't really dove into it that much. So we're really excited to kind of dig into that.
2: Yep, yep, absolutely. And you know, w- what we did is uh on this is hey, let's go find an expert in this. And and so today we have Benjamin Wilms, co-founder and CEO of Studybit. And Benjamin, why don't you go ahead and give everyone a, a quick introduction, please?
1: Of course, of course. And uh, thanks a lot for for having me and to call me an expert. So, um yeah, who am I? So, I'm I'm Benjamin. I'm one of the founders of Studybit. Um SteadyBit is still an an early startup. We we founded SteadyBit in 2019. But what about me? Why I started SteadyBit? Maybe that's a good starting point. Um, I started my career as a a developer in 1999. I'm I'm still a developer by heart. So my biggest motivation is to solve problems with a a very good, with a solid um, solution. And then it's not not stopping for me. It's more like then I would like to, to share what i have achieved what i have built and what my solution is looking like with other people and that's like the biggest motivation for myself and yeah that was also the, the starting point why i uh, found it bit.
2: fantastic fantastic and benjamin let's jump straight into the concept of chaos engineering because it serves as the foundation for everything else we're going to be talking about today um Kind of in its simplest form, I've always thought of KS engineering. It, it intentionally is taking down parts of either a test system or a production system, and you know f- we famously heard about it, you know, at Netflix back in the day. But we've always heard about it once it's in production, once the software has already shipped, and so uh, you know a lot of times it's handled by the SRE teams and it's handled by the operations side, and it forces applications to become more resilient over time, but. It becomes a, not a matter of if production will go down, but when it goes down and yes, it makes systems better over time, but you did consulting in exactly this area and found some, I'll just use the term weaknesses <laughs> in this approach, um, which led to founding study bit. So tell everyone a little bit about the mindset back then and then the limitations you found.
1: Yes. Um, so it started for me also with, with chaos engineering. In, let's say it was six to seven years ago, and of course, if you take a look at at, at the method as the principles of of chaos engineering, you should do it in production. And it was also introduced to do it in in, in a randomly way. But um, to be honest, I'm a, I'm a big believer that if you are starting a production is it's even too late you have to take care about in a very early stage of your environment of your of your development cycle and also um what i what i have uh seen at our customers is it's not limited to just one expert group because normally if you if you take a look at chaos engineering you need to be an expert for for the method for the principles for all the tools you need to do chaos uh, engineering and that's normally limited to a small group, like the like the SRE departments, like the, the DevOps people. But um, that's that's not a job for for them alone. You need to involve other people. You need to 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 have a very um, close connection to your development teams, to your product uh, engineering teams, and both parties need to be uh, yeah uh, participating um, to improve the systems. To yeah, even, um, yeah, to create better systems.
0: Yeah, and it, I mean, it seems like in the chaos engineering space, there's very much um, kind of a focus, uh, you know, a discussion around more proactive, um, you know, kind of approaches to to downtime, to resiliency. It, it feels like to a certain extent, though, and, and I'd love to kind of get your feedback, you know, back in the day, and I'm sure you remember this having developed for a long time, you know, we used to have the idea that like you had enterprise architects and they were very much focused on how do I build resilient systems, and then you had you know sort of dedicated QA groups who were really looking at how do we make sure that the code you know is kind of free from bugs and and so on and so forth, and and now it feels like we've kind of gotten away from those those dedicated things into kind of pushing the pushing the challenge back onto onto developers onto SRE teams like. How did, how's it sort of evolved in, in, in the real world? So, I mean, you can't just sort of snap your fingers and go, hey, chaos engineering. Like, have QA teams sort of embraced this? Are the developers, like, now excited that they just have this new set of tools? Like, how how's it evolved in the real world in terms of what people do, what their jobs are, who
1: owns this sort of stuff? Mm-hmm. Um, so if you, if you go into organizations and um, you're telling them, hmm, okay, you should also do chaos engineering on top of all. It's... It's not working. It's something which has not been picked up by the people because they are they are always like in the situation, yeah, to be hunted by their own systems, to be in a in a in a, in a firefighter mode all the time, and so there is no there is no so, so there's no time to to improve their systems proactively, and um, it's it's needs it needs to be a shared responsibility inside of those organizations. So it's not longer limited by just the performance. People need to do it, or just q a should do it. It's more like okay, we can use the, the the experience, the knowledge from from the SRE departments, from the people that are sitting in front of production, or maybe they are fixing incidents all the day, all all day long. We can use this knowledge to to hand it over to developers, to other people that we need to yeah, build um, reliable systems. And that's more the shift we can see. It's it's taking a while and. Um, it's it's um yeah more like um this uh how's it called uh i'm not a native speaker so sorry Uh, collaborative ownership of of the system you are you are providing you're producing
2: yep yep yeah and that i'll use the term shared responsibility as that model uh benjamin and and a follow-up question to exactly that um because we certainly are seeing uh you know kind of well, of course, DevOps and and everything that comes along with DevOps and the concepts, but but at times there's pushback on a lot of these, and it it almost seems like uh, at times developers embrace certain things, and then at times they tend to push back on certain things. When you go back to your consulting days, um, and and even as you know, a coming now, a customer that would be interested in this as a platform and they're interested in pursuing with study, how do you talk to the developers and kind of get them on board and mm-hmm. not make it just seem like more work for them?
1: Yeah, that's, that's the biggest challenge because, um, let me, let me start by describing developers. So I'm also a developer by heart. I, I also love to develop new things. And to be honest, developers don't care about security or resilience aspects as long as someone is like, or as something is not working in production, maybe there was, maybe my last implementation um, uh, showed up in, in in a new bug. We need now to improve again the system because something was not not right in the first try, and that's the situation developers don't like to be so so often, and that's where you can yeah can help them to be more proactive to to. Do it in a more testing approach. So if you are just telling them you need to do chaos engineering, and to be honest, someone who's who's um, not not able to spend so much time to to get all the knowledge uh, to do chaos engineering, how how they should start? And um, yeah, you need to do it in in a way that developers can improve their own skills. They they need yeah to. To be able to learn something for themselves and then you you are able to yeah, uh, convince them that they um yeah will help you to improve your system proactively.
0: yeah i i've often wondered uh, you know and this is almost going to sound silly but um you know we we've reached a point where you know every every aspect of business is is very digitized right it, it's sort of it's all represented in software and and if you go to most business people and you say hey um i'd like to introduce chaos into your business, they would go, uh, no, thank you. There's the door. I'm not interested. (laughs) Right. Um, and I, I, you know, I almost sort of wonder if, if chaos engineering sometimes struggles from just, you know, kind of, kind of naming convention, marketing convention, right. If it was, if it was thought of as as sort of reliability engineering. And I only bring that up because we, we have this fallacy in our industry that we talk about blameless postmortems and Mm -hmm. yes, something went down and, and the best practices you know we should talk about it we should figure it out and nobody's to blame but the reality is like somebody always gets blamed <laughs> and so if you're the person who goes yeah so we had an outage and it was introduced by me introducing this tool that's called chaos i feel mm-hmm. like you you put somebody in in sort of a bad position right like almost in a position where they they feel very hesitant to introduce this concept which is like hey i'm not trying to Break things for chaos reasons. I'm trying to break them for reliability reasons to make the system stronger. You know, it's like it's like some giving somebody, uh, you know, like a uh, like a shot. You know, like we all we we all did when the COVID came along. Do you find sometimes people are just um you know struggle or resistant or hesitant because they feel like I don't know how to explain the concept of chaos and resiliency to the to the business? Does does that ever come up and does it ever kind of come up or do, do you find that very often?
1: Yeah, um, this this come up. Uh, this also was discovered uh, with our early customers because, of co- uh, of course, uh, chaos engineering is a, is a nice door opener for. Uh, okay, we need to talk about this topic, and that's something you, you can achieve. But if you would like to get an approval or a budget to uh, to buy, let's let's say a steady bit license, and you're talking to your management, okay, now we will break our system all the day, all long, in production even. And that's 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 not a good not a good uh, starting point. And um, so that's also why why I'm a big believer that you need to do it in earlier stages. You need to do it in your in your dev environment, in your staging environment, QA environment. That's the, the place where you should check and validate if your system is is prepared for production because production is not a happy place to be. production is no, production hates you. So um, production is, is fighting against you and uh, that's something you should be be, um, aware of and um
0: yeah no i i think it's great I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna actually give you i'm gonna give you a a free piece of marketing it's a, it's a million dollar marketing idea we're gonna start calling it qaos engineering <laughs> <laughs> there you go nice, you're, nice. you're just moving it back oh, <laughs> qaos engineering i think i think you could start using that as a as a way to
1: introduce the concept yeah but also um it's from our customer perspective also uh, what our uh, our early adopters are from the s r e departments from q a and performance teams those departments those people are picking up yeah a steady bit to to get started with them so it's it's not so far away yeah that's QA true. Is a near engineer
2: well and benjamin um i mean very similar topic along this is you know, justification of the business value, if you will, right? Like if, if outages can be measured and like I almost think of this again, like trying to put a positive spin on this because if you look at like things that that tend to get a bad rapid time, like security or ransomware of like, yeah, you can measure an outage after it happens and it's, you know, this much downtime or this many hundreds of thousands or million dollars in lost revenue or, or other things like that. But a lack of outages is harder to quantify because, hey, it worked. And, you know, did was it because of the tool? Was it not because of the tool, right? And so does it ever become an issue convincing organizations because the business justification gets hard?
1: It's, yeah, that is a topic, to be honest. Um, because if... If SteadyBit is working well in your organization, and you will no longer receive any uh, resilience-related outages in production, hmm, is this the job done by SteadyBit or how how to measure it? So how how to do the connection? So it's yeah, there is. If everything is uh, is, is doing well, you will not receive new outages in production. But what our customers are doing is they are able to to map. Um, The incidents they they are seeing in their monitoring solutions, if if they are connected to a specific reliability issue or maybe a um, resilience-related topic. And that's something where they can measure like, okay, now we have no longer so much incidents related or connected to those uh, reliability um, resilience engineering aspects. That's something they can do. And um, what they are also doing is... um, they are more able to handle the risk. So if you are not... So, to be honest, uh, uh, developers and and product engineering teams are are, are measured on on feature velocity. They need to get new features into production as fast as possible. But there's a risk coming with that approach. It's like, okay, new features is good for our customers, but if our customer is not able to use our new features, or maybe we are are losing them because... um, they they are not able to, to work with our uh, newly designed systems that's something yeah which is which is not working quite well so they need to get a clear picture about the risk in the in, in their systems they have developed and that's something you can do with with a testing approach so you can run recurring test cases to verify that you are not running in the same incident again and again and again and that's yeah something you can measure.
2: Yeah and that's a perfect segue into Study bit itself and and because when we say we're moving chaos engineering, uh, reliability engineering, whatever we want to call it, into the CI CD pipeline, what does that really mean? Is that code that is added? Is that testing simulations that have to be passed? Um, tell everyone a little bit about how it actually works and and in, in practicality. Mm-hmm. So
1: the normal journey is, or not the normal journey, it's more like one use case. uh, You can see is like there was an incident and now you would like to replay a specific incident. You would like to transform an an incident into, let's say, a regression test. So you would like to use SteadyBit to say, okay, last night there was an outage in two zones of our cloud provider from one of our core services. And that's something you can, Use uh, there, you can use state of it for to replace it, to recreate it. And then you are just executing in your staging environment the specific experiments, the specific test case to verify if you now can yeah replay this uh, incident over and over again to, to see if your last improvement will fix this incident. And then you can go into production, like, okay, it's, it's more like a quality check. And the next logical step is. Now you would like to automate this because you would like to use this created test case experiment to yeah to, to do it as a regression test to take care that you are not uh, running again the same incident because of a new feature which has now been uh, pushed into production. And at this point you will need to integrate it in your in your CI/CD system. You need to be yeah make it uh, you need to do it in, a, in an automated way, and that's uh, what you what you are doing with daily, because Everything you are creating with SteadyBit is nothing less than than code underhood. So it's just a YAML structure you're creating, and SteadyBit can use this YAML structure to um yeah execute your, your test cases, your, your collection of experiments.
2: Nice. Nice. Okay, fantastic. Thank you for that. And um I I you touched on it earlier, but I want to clarify this. Um what organizations tend to embrace this the most. Like, you know, if you're coming into an organization, who's interested in it first? Is it the SRE team? Is it the QA team? Is it the development team? Is it, you know, maybe a a more, the executive team and the leadership team has a mandate to, you know, better uptime? Uh, Tell everyone a little bit about that as a a final talking point here
1: before we wrap up. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, our ideal customer is is looking like, or what is our normal customer, they are from from, um, um, areas like SaaS provider, like e-commerce platforms, uh, or uh, fintech insurance companies that are providing a service for their customers. And there's a very, very close connection to their uh, customers. So, for example, if their service is not reachable. They, they are losing customer trust. They are losing revenue immediately. And that's like <laughs> the group of customers who are the early adopters or because they have created very large and complex systems. So one of our customers is located in France. It's an e-commerce platform provider. And there's a small group of experts and they are, they are providing or they are taking care about production on and on, on the other side on the left side there is a group of 500 developers pushing into production every day with new features new releases and so production is always in a in a in an unstable situation and that's something they need to be be aware of and um, yeah that's something we we, uh, we we see and the early groups um they are picking, who are picking up steady bit is um, from from the SRE departments is from performance departments Whose job is yeah to um, to take care about that production is working like expected. Ah,
2: fascinating, fascinating. Thank you, thank you, Benjamin. That's really, really, really good insight. And it's it's good to take this time and and thank you for educating us. Uh, like like Brian had said in the introduction, it's been eh, a couple years um, since we've really talked about this topic, and it's good to see this advance. And and it's good to follow this and watch this continue to advance. And so with that. I'm going to close us out for this week. Uh, On behalf of Brian and myself, thank you to everyone for listening. And thank you, Benjamin, for your time this week. Um, As always, uh, you can send us feedback uh, through email or through Twitter. And uh, you can also leave us a review and, and tell a friend if you're enjoying the show as well. And so with that, we're going to wrap it up and we will talk to everyone next week.